0: tandem nomads episode 186 passion positivity and persistence uh you know i used this after i moved to the u.s as an expat because there were so many ups and downs and i had all these side hustles that i wanted to turn into projects and really being passionate about it being positive when things don't seem to be working out and being persistent constantly and consistently has helped me get where I am
1: today. Hello Nomad Nation, welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to grow a successful portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. This is your host, Emel Deragi. I'm a business and marketing coach and the founder of Tandem Nomads. And today's guest has inspired me to bring you, the topic of having different passions and different areas of interest and being multi-talented can sometimes be very difficult in order to focus in your business and get results. And this can be a challenge as well if you're looking for a business idea that will allow you to build your own source of revenue and fulfillment on the move. And by the way, if this is you, if you're looking for the right business idea for you, make sure to go to the show notes of this episode, tandemnomads.com slash 186, where you'll find great inspiration and the free resource that will help you figure out how you can find the right business idea for you. So go to tandemnomads.com slash 186. And I know that today's guest will also give you some great inspiration if you're looking for your business idea. So in order to talk about this topic and also learn about how you can build a community around your business idea, I brought to you a very interesting guest here. I'm very excited to have her on the show, Naina Caputi. Naina, are you ready for this ride? I absolutely am, Amel. Thank you so much for giving me <laughs> this opportunity. <laughs> it's my true pleasure. I'm fascinated by your journey, and I can't wait to share it with our listeners. So Novat Nation, Naina Kaputi is a filmmaker, startup founder, blogger, advocate, and speaker on gender violence, startups, cross-cultural skills, diversity, and expat life. She started her career in India as a biotechnologist, and today she is the co-founder and producer at Bella Films and the founder and CEO of the Expat Women. She is also an award-winning documentary filmmaker, and her most recent film, Petals in the Dust, focused on gender violence in India, has been screened globally, including at the United Nations Film Festival. In honor of her work to end misogyny and women empowerment, she received the Women of the Year 2015 California State Assembly and is also the recipient of Women of Distinction 2015 and she's the winner of the Global Influence 2019 Award from Women Empowerment Awards North America. Nina, what is it that you want people to know about you on top of this amazing journey?
0: Oh, uh, that, that's that's that's.
1: Uh, first of all, thanks for that amazing
0: introduction. And um, secondly, yes, it, you know, moving to the U.S. Uh, has been a journey in itself. I came to New York. Uh, to study filmmaking, I did have a biotechnology background. um, But I don't think I was really cut out to work in a lab or work in the corporate world. I'm, I'm, I think very creative at heart. And I like to be kind of a free spirit. So I don't like being I don't like rules and meeting and stuffy corporate offices. So I came to study filmmaking. And, uh, you know, and that really led me to why I'm still in the US. I met my husband, who is a San Franciscan native um, in New York and uh, I was only planning to stay in New York for a short while to study filmmaking and go back to India to make social justice and human rights films but of course you know you can never plan your future and this (laughs) I never yeah I didn't plan on being an expat so I think I'm kind of like an incidental expat and now I live in the San Francisco Bay Area married to
1: my husband who's also a filmmaker. So I was very fascinated by your journey because you managed to do a lot. You have this passion, you come from biochemistry, you have a passion for women's justice, and you have built this great platform called the Expat Women that has grown uh, pretty amazingly. So actually, could you tell us what has led you to start Expat Women? Sure.
0: So as I said, I never planned on being an expat, you know, I always... I wanted to live in India and work in India just because I wanted to be near my parents. And I consider myself fairly patriotic, but, you know, love and marriage can change all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I, when I moved to San Francisco, my you know, when I moved to San Francisco, initially it was exciting, you know, it's such a beautiful city. My husband working in film you know, had long hours, he worked, at that point, he used to work on a lot of Hollywood and independent film productions. So he was gone for like weeks on end. And, uh, you know, I was kind of isolated, living in this cute little condo, but not knowing anyone. And then at least in those days, maybe things have changed now, but I didn't find people very friendly. Like for instance, in India, and I'm sure a lot of other countries, uh, when someone is new to the country or the region, people go out of their way, right, to invite them over for a meal, take them uh, around to see the sights, introduce them to their friends and family. And I didn't find that. And, you know, while I was in New York studying film, I was staying in a, a dorm where every almost everyone was from another country. And we kind of navigated the city together, uh, you know, and we were all new. So we got, You know, we had that support. And I didn't find that back when I when I lived in San Francisco, you know, in a residential neighborhood. And that's when I, I realized how hard it was, you know, being new to a country and not having the support of, you know, friends and family, not having a network. My husband's amazing, but, you know, he was gone. And also him not being an expat, he did not understand, you know, some of the hurdles and challenges I was facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and also I think being a man I'm again not to run down men but I think you know <laughs> expat women face different challenges and you know either other local women or men expat men or men face yeah. and yeah. I look, yeah so I looked online you know I to see if there were any resources or ways I could learn more about what it was like for newcomers to the US even simple things like you know you get invited to a Um, baby shower. Now I know they have, you know, baby and bridal showers all over the world. But in those days, those was, you know, they hadn't yet caught up in India, at least. At least I wasn't aware of it. And like, how do you dress for that? Do you give a gift? You know, when someone invites you over, do you take, you know, do you take uh, a dish? Do you ask them what they want you to bring when you, uh, you know, send a resume out? How many pages should your resume be? I mean, all, you know, both on the personal and professional side, there was no one to guide me. And so that's how the idea for, you know, starting like an online resource for women new to the country came about.
1: Wow, this is interesting. So what is the, the, what I love, first of all, is that you saw a problem, you saw a need and an empty, some empty space and gap to fill and you took action. So once you realize that, what is it that you did first?
0: So I, uh, you know, this was uh, when there were meetups and, uh, you know, even a lot of online stuff wasn't very, was just starting, I think. So I really- When was it actually that you founded it? It was, uh, no, I, I didn't, I didn't really found, found it formally till 2003. This was an idea in two, two thousand. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I founded it in 2013. But the idea came to me in 2003 when I was, you know, first, yeah. uh, uh, you know, experiencing what it's like to be new to a country, especially since I hadn't planned on living in the U.S., you know. Yeah. So it was all like hitting me like, you know, and I wouldn't say it was so much culture shock because I, you know, I come from a family that's fairly westernized. You know, we grew up spe- speaking English, like two or three generations. A lot of my family have married people from out of the country. Uh, you know, I grew up watching a lot of Hollywood and British films. I traveled abroad, you know, so I dressed in mostly Western clothes, spoke English. So those ones, you know, the more like the subtle differences that can become big a big deal when you're mm-hmm. trying to find your way yeah. um, So, uh, yeah, so the idea came to me in 2003, but then I, you know, I was also very keen to find a job because I'm sure as you know, people define you by what you do. Mm -hmm. Like you go for a party and the first thing they ask you is, you know, what do you do? And when you say, Oh, I'm, you know, I don't have a job right now. Usually they move away. Mm -hmm. Like, especially I found that in the U S in India, they'll ask you where you're from, which where's your family from. But in the U S it's all about what you do that kind of defines you, you know, you'd be an expat coming from another country, no one ever showed any interest, like, wow, you're from India, you know, what, you know, what, what's, you know, they could ask me so many questions related to that, but there was no interest in that. And uh, so I wanted to find a job. And so the expat, uh, starting something for expats took a backseat. And I went on this journey of, you know, making short films, uh, fi- you know, working, uh, I wanted to work in a nonprofit. Feel. I I didn't want to work in the corporate world. I just, uh, you know, I'd worked in India in the corporate world and I was like, I cannot do that again. And so I did work at a couple of nonprofits. My fi- the final uh, uh, nonprofit that I worked for before I quit uh, to finish my documentary film and start uh, Expat Woman was called Upwardly Global, which is an amazing nonprofit that works with immigrant professionals that come to the U.S., but are not able to find jobs in their field. So they train them and connect them with employers. So that was, you know, that at least was part of me fulfilling what I wanted to do, which was working with, uh, you know, people from other countries. So I really loved that. And I did that for a couple of years.
1: Okay. Okay. That's amazing. So you, you, that was very interesting about what you said about the identity. Sometimes how how work is so tied to the identity. Sometimes it's the country where we are that does that. But in general, I think worldwide, um, we we can see working with so many expats. Passes how the lack of a profession or a job or a business can lead to an identity crisis as well. So that's that's kind of interesting. But how did you then start, because you did have a job, you you found a job, you started settling down, and what led you to then start Expat Woman? How, I mean, what are the steps you took that led to sure. bringing it to life? Absolutely. And I actually just want to backtrack a little bit. I, you know, I, when I when I
0: actually studied film, my, my final, we had to make short films, and my final film was about an immigrant woman who had moved to New York uh, in, uh, in an arranged marriage and all the... You know all the little challenges she faced. You know moving here. You know I'd heard many stories of women who came to the U.S. through arranged marriages and then you know mm. were you know what you know had a really hard time both uh, personally and professionally. So it was called Desi Confused by America. Like and she was from a very small town. So I was already thinking about this even before you know before marrying my husband and before. Settling down in the U.S., I was thinking about the challenges immigrants mm. face. So anyway, so I but Interesting. yeah, so and it it did play in a couple of film festivals as well. But I went on to make other films. I I went on to make this documentary film about gender violence in India, which took a big chunk of my time, but which was so worth it because, uh, you know, I came. I found out about this when I uh, my husband and I were in in India. And we, you know, we visited an orphanage and this, um, the supervisor of the orphanage told us, you know, that uh, before this orphanage was built, they were drowning baby girls in this lake because, you know, daughters are not wanted in India. Mm. And even though I grew up in India, I wasn't aware of how bad the issue was. You know, I grew up in a family where my father and mother, you know, didn't discriminate between me and my brother. We were treated equally. My dad wanted me to be a doctor, engineer. It wasn't like, oh, you're going to get married, so you know, just study home science or, Mm -hmm. you know, liberal arts or whatever. So, and then when I did some research, I found that 50, uh, and you know, now my mind is like it's been so long, but I believe it. You know, the number was huge. The number of girls that had been killed in India either before they were born or shortly after they were born because they were female. And I told my husband, I need to do a documentary film about this because even though I'm Indian, I'm not aware of this issue and we've got to do something to create awareness and support the organizations and nonprofits working on this. So that, you know, that was a journey for me because I had never made a documentary film, like a feature length documentary film. I had never raised money for a documentary film. But again, my experiences with working with nonprofits in the U.S., the helping them with fundraisers, working with volunteers, working with the community, gave me that background and that uh, platform that I needed, and the experience and expertise to and confidence to go about and do this. So I did. I did like I built a community and I built an international community by hosting these global Mm -hmm. walks in different countries because I realized the film's going to take me a long time to make so while the film is being made I still need to create awareness and so I connected with people in different countries through Facebook some of them would reach out to me I created a Facebook group Uh, you know I did interviews with uh, you know newspapers and the in television you know just I created a lot of buzz so I did use a lot of marketing strategies and I don't have them marketing background but you know you kind of learn as you go along and Mm. that created I had a huge community very supportive community not just Indians but you know people of all uh, you know um, what would I say all um, backgrounds all from different countries American and international who believed in this because maybe the same issue wasn't happening in their country but they could see that gender violence is not just uh, you know, it's not just happening in India, but it's happening globally in different forms, including the U.S. I mean, there's so many cases of domestic violence in the U.S. You know, which get which go unreported, or uh, so 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 that gave me the confidence uh, to then take when I was ready. When the documentary film was almost done, I told my husband, "I'm not going back to work. I'm going to focus on the expat woman now. I'm ready." So this was in uh in 2013 and that's when I started the expat woman
1: oh wow okay okay so then so what where did you start when she decided to do it so I
0: you know I wasn't sure in which direction to go but as I said because when I had first moved to the US I was looking for like resources and uh you know uh, online community so I decided I would start with a website and um I hadn't you know Having made a documentary and put in my personal money and you know also getting funding, I didn't really have any resources to put into starting the Expat woman. One thing I was clear about was I didn't want it to be a non nonprofit. Mm-hmm. having made my documentary film and seeing and also working at nonprofit, it is very stressful having to write grants and I don't like writing I don't like running after people for money. I don't like feeling obligated to them you know and I also my my target audience was really middle and higher income professional international women because I saw there were a lot of non-profits that worked with low-income women or women who you know unfortunately disadvantaged in many ways because of their education and the skills they had so I was like I want to start a for-profit and I want to make money but I also wanted to have a social, uh, you know, uh, like a, I wanted to be a social enterprise. And what is interesting is, I don't know if it's because I'm working with immigrants or because I'm working with women, but people just assume that because I'm working with immigrants and women, that it's a nonprofit. I mean, that's the, <laughs> the attitude, which I find very frustrating.
1: Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. And, and I think it's important to also define those goals. Like when you start a project that you know from the start, do you want to run this as a business or as an NGO? Because that differentiates the, the, the path that we take and the journey that we take um, to get it successful. And s- since you started Expat Women, today, by now, you have, we're recording this in the summer 2020, you had over 300 events in, mostly in California, but I think you also did them in other, in other places too, right? right exactly exactly and you know events as i said i was started as a
0: online resource site i was writing and i again writing is not one of my strong points but Mm -hmm. i wrote from the heart and then i would interview other expats on their stories their experiences their success stories i wanted that you know to inspire those who were who felt like they couldn't make it in the u.s or in other countries but then kind of pivoted into events because, mm. you know, I'd realized I need to build a community. I need to see who my audience is. And, you know, after New York, San Francisco, I think has one of the largest international communities. So um, I remember one of the first events I did was a happy hour. I, it was at a, I think the press club, which is a, a bar in downtown San Francisco. I, and I don't really drink. I mean, once <laughs> a week I have a wine, a glass of wine and I was sitting by myself in that bar with the sipping on a cold lemonade and no one showed up and it was like wow you know I thought you know I was so when I came to the U.S. I was so desperate to meet other uh, international women and you know even local women and no one showing up but you know what I decided to persist because I had a passion and I believed I this I could make it happen so I continued and Interestingly enough, my audience in at least the Bay Area seems to be more interested in events which have content. So if like you do a women in tech, women in product, a hackathon, or even an expat panel, I would have a, a a good turnout. And you know, so again you learn, like I could have done research, I could have interviewed people, but sometimes you have to do you have to just do it and see what works and doesn't and be prepared to persist and pivot.
1: Amen to that. I want to unfold a little bit what you said here, some some things I really want to highlight, because uh, the first one is that you started first with making it an online platform, and then you saw that there was a need to also meet physically. That's when you um, you started doing these events, and then we'll talk about that later. With COVID, it went back into making virtual events, but what the story you told me about, um, you told us about going to the bar and knowing no one's showing up. I can see that fear freezing so many of uh, the listeners that I've been talking to, but also my clients who are preparing to launch something. And they just freeze because they're afraid that nobody shows up. And in your case, you might have not worried about that, but It actually happened that nobody showed up. So, how did you find the energy to rise up and the confidence to keep going? Uh, So that's why, again, I bring up my
0: three Ps. You know, the passion, positivity, and persistence. Mm. Because I was so passionate about doing this, this I'd been thinking. You know, by now it was ten years, right? I told you in two thousand and three, I thought about it. So I was like, I'm not going to let this, uh, you know, uh, kill the dream that I have and maybe this baby people don't want to do a happy hour so the next event so the next event i partnered with someone you know i said okay let me partner and I, I was i actually did a a workshop at uh, a, a series of workshops on starting a business because again i had no idea about how to run a business business plans and all that it's called renaissance it's in san francisco and one of the uh, managers there uh, was also a fashionista and, you know, she and I hit it off. and I was telling, I want to do an event. And she said, we can do a joint fashion event. And I have no idea about fashion. You know, I had a biotech background, a film background, a social justice background. So I'm like, sure, you know, I'll find a space. And and she said, you know, so long if you can, if we can get this many people and we can make this revenue and then you can get that much of the revenue. And so we partnered, I used the skills that I had with running you know we're doing all the fundraisers i did for petals in the dust and i used those skills to organize this Mm -hmm. event and it the event sold out and it was amazing and that boosted my confidence but i think if i take a step back when i started doing my documentary i had the same you know experience where people said no one's going to support your documentary and you know you're not going to be able to raise any money i wrote to so many i sent so many grants i approached so many people and i had so many doors, you know, slammed in my face. I had so many negative responses. I had so many people, uh, you know, including, you know, initially some family members saying, you know, you're painting India in a poor light and, you know, you should not be doing this. And so I, I faced negatively, but I also faced a lot of supportive people. Mm-hmm. So I had already encountered this negativity and, you know, experiences of feeling rejected and not hearing back. So I, I guess that. You know, those experiences gave me the confidence with the expat woman that I just need to be passionate, positive, and persist. And I love those three Ps. Yes. This is so
1: good. Those three Ps, Nomad Nation, you might want to write them down and remember that when you hit a roadblock for sure. There's another thing that's interesting for me in your journey. Uh, I have a program called the Business Idea Accelerator. By the time this program might be aired, you might find the link in the show notes of this episode. Uh, But this program is designed to find a business idea. And one of the key pillars is to actually know how to tap into your already existing skills and passions and i think that's what you said one of the things that have helped you suddenly have traction with the first event is when you decided to use your experience in in fundraising to to promote this event and and you sold out so it's although it was not an ngo you still used your skills from the past and i think that's key to succeeding in business. A lot of people talk about reinvention, especially for expert spouses, and often say, no, you don't have to reinvent yourself. You're just building up on what you already achieved in the past.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So that's so how does how is the expat women platform looking today? What's the model?
0: So because of you know COVID-19, of course we had to pivot to moving all our events online. I we were doing you know, we were already doing some virtual events like we doing webinars. Uh, but now, of course, everything's online, which is actually fantastic because mm-hmm. we're able to reach a larger audience. I, I have kids, so, you know, this way I can work from home. And, you know, even though I'm always afraid one of them will come bouncing in when I'm mm-hmm. on those webinars. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and it's given me time to take a step back because I didn't want the expat woman only to be about events. You know, as mm-hmm. I said, my initial idea was to provide resources and training and uh, community for, for you know the audience. and again it's not just expats. a lot of women in our community and we also have some men uh, come to these events either because of the content or because they've lived abroad or worked abroad or they're married to someone who's from abroad or they're just interested in connecting with international people and that's what we mm-hmm. always have like the, the turnout at our events is amazing people are very friendly. Uh, they're very uh, supportive and I think that's what has also led to the success is you know the quality of our events the quality of the people that come and the authenticity Mm -hmm. and uh, so some of the other areas that we focused on or will be focusing on we have a you know paid membership site because I wanted to also one is build this inner circle another is bring in different revenue streams we We have a newsletter that goes out to 13,000 plus people about two times a a week where very often the newsletter is sponsored. We have have blog posts. Sometimes those are sponsored. Sometimes we have uh, companies or businesses sponsoring our workshops, our events. We also do hackathons. where you know so, so a lot of the revenue comes not just from ticket sales but from companies that want to promote their businesses or brand to our network or they want to hire from our network so they'll sponsor an event or they'll sponsor a blog post they'll sponsor a newsletter or they want to promote you know their own events so it's been interesting and uh, uh, um, you know so looking at other avenues we are looking at doing more online trainings not just focused on panels, but, you know, focused on, you know, because that I've realized it's such a need and, you know, people want content, people want to constantly learn, they want to grow, they want to hear other people's uh, experiences. And that in a one hour event, that's very hard to, uh, you know, uh, to share with, uh, share in depth on any particular topic.
1: That's amazing. And I think the secret also, the reason why you have sponsors as well on top of the sales of the tickets and people who are interested is because you managed to build a big network and a big community uh, that's all around, that's international, right? Right, right. So what was the secret for you to grow? Uh, I think you have at this moment around 6,000 subscribers, something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. 13,000. 13,000. So... What was the secret to growing?
0: Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Amel, it's really, uh, you know, the, I think the quality of the events that we did, the authenticity mm-hmm. and, and the people we attracted. And I, why bring in being authentic? Because I see, you know, sometimes we do an event and then we we'll see other people trying to maybe ape what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe in it and you just look at, oh, what is somebody else doing? So I'm going to try and do the same thing. That will not get you far. You have to believe in it. You you know you have to say I think I want to do this because I think this is what my audience wants. This is what I think I can pull off, and I think people see that they see the you know they want to see they want to see uh, you know you being genuine. They want to feel that you really care uh, to produce uh, content that they want. And I think it also like as the founder of a business, you need people want to put a uh, Of the face to a name, right? So I try to be at a lot of my events. I usually kick off the events. I try and connect with people. And I, you know, after Petals in the Dust, and I had, you know, I was on the media so often and being interviewed, I really wanted to take a step back. I wanted to be like in the background because I felt the expat woman is not about me, but about the expat community. If you go to the website, there's no picture about me as a founder. Because I really wanted to, didn't want it to be about me. Petals in the Dust became about me in a way. My story is in the documentary film. But in this, I didn't want it to be about me. But now I'm realizing people do connect the business to the founder uh, mm-hmm. in some ways. I don't know if I answered your question because I think I went about another <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, I did. I did understand something very important that I'm so happy that you highlighted is that and, and that's what i always repeat to my client as well. There's no strategy that can work if it does not start first with that authenticity that you're talking about and also building relationships. And I think then all the other strategies can work. So I'm glad that you brought that up uh, because I think that's so important. And what I find interesting indeed about your journey and I think this is why I was also intrigued was the fact that we don't actually it's hard to find you the only reason I found you is because I think your social media manager mentioned you to me so (laughs) right otherwise otherwise I wouldn't have been able to to know about you and that was my choice really I just Mm -hmm. at this
0: point maybe you know it'll change because I am working on building my personal brand and I I think I also do suffer from the imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. so you know it's it's overcoming that as well. I talk about it to other people, but I need to. So, it's and I think I'm also a fairly private person. It's mm-hmm. hard for me to put myself out there. I Already did it with the documentary, and it was like, okay, I need a break now.
1: Mm. I love how how honest and vulnerable you're willing to be here and share that with us. I think a lot of people need to hear it that despite of that imposter syndrome that you have, and the willingness to not be out there, you can still succeed at building such a big platform.
0: Right, right. Because I've noticed sometimes people, it's all their business is all about them. And I feel sometimes the business takes a a secondary position, unless, of course, you're a coach and, you know, you're selling yourself. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I just feel that, you know, it's so much about the person. And, you know, so the community takes a backseat. Like even for my panels, I rarely moderate a panel. I usually find like another you know, professional or expert to moderate the panel because I really feel, be, you know, they need... The whole idea of starting The Expat woman to give other expat women and also allies the opportunity to share their, you know, experiences with uh, our community. Because right. I find
1: it interesting that you say that even you don't even show up as a moderator, it's hard to find you as a person. You really need to put an effort to know who's behind The Expat Women. So right. what do you think helps people really connect to the expat woman if it's not the founder so
0: of course we built the expat woman uh, on events that happened mostly in, in san francisco but as i said also we've done events in india hong kong new york the silicon valley toronto so i've been at almost 95 percent of the events and i if i have a if i have an MC, then they introduce me so i always speak at every event that i've been to and I always, I I'm, I'm, I try to be as approachable as possible. And I try to make the event as relaxed as possible because I have a very relaxed style I mm-hmm. like to imagine. So mm-hmm. I always want people to feel comfortable. And I try to do that when I kick off the event or if the MC introduces me. And, mm-hmm. you know, so people can come to speak to me at the end. And I also very often share my own story of being an expat in the U.S., and what inspired me to start the expat woman? So it's not like I'm I'm not there at all. I am there at the event. Uh, you know, out of the 300 plus events we've done, I've been as I said, I've been at 95 or 96 percent of those events. And even the virtual events when you do our virtual conferences or hackathons or, uh, you know, I I usually kick it off. I don't hire someone else to do it. So mm-hmm. people so 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 people know who I am. They hear about me. And, uh, uh, you know, so and again, with the sponsors or most of the people on the panels, I don't use one of my team to reach out to them. I reach out to them personally. Mm -hmm. If it's a cold call via LinkedIn or or I, you know, when we could, when before the lockdown, I would meet with them for coffee or meet at their offices. So I'm still the face for the expat woman. It's just that I didn't want it to be about me, you know, at least so far. I mean, things might change. Because I wanted to build this community and wanted to celebrate expat women. And, you know, it's like if you look at some of the bigger companies, like, and again, I'm not aping them because I don't want it to become a big corporation. But, you know, um, like Amazon, or, you know, you don't, you don't, when you go to the page, you don't see here, you know, about their founder. It's about yeah. what the company. So that's what I, I, I want. I yeah. agree. That's yeah. what
1: makes it a company and not just a right. one woman show. Right. Which is fine. I admire
0: yeah. people who do that. I mean, it, again, you know, it ha- you have to do what works for you and what you're comfortable with. There's that's no true. right or wrong strategy.
1: I like that. I love it. So one thing that's common to your experience with the documentaries and the expert women, I find um is your passion for women empowerment. Um, I, I don't know if you would agree with that statement. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Totally. And, and I do see a big, big f- passion and thread around that. And speaking of that, you have a family, you have all these projects, you have expat women. The big question to you is how do you find the time and how do you manage to to find the time to do it all? Because it must be a lot of work.
0: <laughs> That's a great question, Amel, And thank you for asking that. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I have, a, you know, when I have a big event or a big, you know, project coming on, I, I make a list like a to do list um, on just on Gmail. And, you know, say, we before we did a, we did a hackathon, right? And there were so many moving parts, because this was the first time we were doing a virtual hackathon, we had always done them in person. So, uh, you know, I, so I create these lists, I create who I delegate, what to, what I'm going to cover. And then I, you know, visit them and revisit them every day. Because what I'd find if I don't write something down, then it keeps me up at night. And if I do wake up at night tossing and turning because I'm like, oh, my goodness, I didn't do this. Or I maybe I need to add that. Then I'll wake up instead of tossing and turning and add it to my list. So I find lists to-do list really helpful and it gives me so much pleasure to check off something off my (laughs) list when I'm done. Uh, But I also think self-care is so important Uh, Mm -hmm. because of the lockdown, you know, us being stuck in the house. I, uh, and I live in a neighborhood that's very, very supportive. Uh, And, you know, so I actually started a Facebook group for our neighborhood because again, using my experience of building communities Mm -hmm. and we started sharing about, you know, gardening and, backyard gardening and so I started uh, growing a vegetable garden in my backyard and that has been so exciting for me because every morning I wake up to I've never ever grown vegetables in my life and right now there's a huge zucchini in my backyard (laughs) but I go you know it's almost like giving birth to a baby that zucchini like I'm so excited about it and then we got chickens because another neighbor wanted to get rid of her chickens. And so for my kids, that's been great. So, you know, doing all these things and I try and go for walks every day. I try to meditate, but I, I have ADHD, I cannot focus. So I do other things. like, And then, of course, listening to podcasts was something I recently discovered. And I've been listening to your podcast as well. So I think finding time besides work, you know, first of all, having lists, focusing on what needs to be done, checking it off you know, constantly re-looking and reworking your list and then finding time to, to do things that you really enjoy. And if you don't have a hobby, try and find one. Like I didn't really have many hobbies before this, but now gardening has uh, become so exciting for me. And, uh, you know, and of course I hang out with my kids. I'm trying to get them interested in gardening. Uh, you know, we do family walks. We watch movies together. We go on bike rides. I'm I'm teaching my kids right now to be entrepreneurs. You know, they. My oldest son has been baking some. I helped him start his own business, and my other kids we've been doing. They've been doing lemonade stands with their friends out in the front, selling lemonade and mm-hmm. succulents. So you know, just I'm doing stuff with the community in my neighborhood. Uh, so That's all that has kept me sane. yeah, because you you know you get so burnt out and so stressed out when you you know especially you want to do it right which I'm sure you've experienced too it's so important to take time to do other stuff as well and and put that I put that in my I've now made like a a, a, like in my same to-do list I've put like time slots and uh, you know also in that time slot I've included when I take time off and when I do stuff and of course I don't always follow it and especially when you have children and they're you know, you're homeschooling them right now. They're on vacation. It's really hard to follow those lists, but at least it gives you some semblance of normality and, you know, some kind of structure and order in your life. And I'm not very organized, so I need that.
1: And I love that you stress on the importance to succeed in business to also have other venues as a hobby or something else to be able to 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 first of all rest to be able to be effective but also to get inspiration i think inspiration can from other areas than business can help bring back that into the business to grow
0: right and actually one more thing i forgot is also paying it forward mm-hmm. and out and helping and giving back so i try you know to see how i can help not just professionally but you know maybe in our neighborhood someone needs something you know we started a we start our neighborhood is called Canterbury village and we started a Canterbury cares program during COVID-19 to help neighbors that needed that extra support. So it's, and I, you know, I think that's so important. And I think with the next generation, we might lose that about, you know, everyone becomes so turned in and focused on themselves. And I think it's important to reach out and give back and, and coming from countries like India and, you know, a lot of countries where it's still community and family is such a big part of our lives. You know, we're always helping each other. I think it's really important to instill that in our children and in our friends and in our neighborhood
1: and community. Yeah, this is such an important message. I'm so grateful that you brought that up. So important to give back and pay forward. Right. So what is the next step now for you inside the Expat Woman? What are you working on? So...
0: I'm actually working on uh, doing podcasts too. So when you oh, in, nice. yeah, so when you in, in invited me, you know, I was like, wow, this is great. I get to see it from the other side, and uh, also working, as I said, on some online trainings because uh, that was an area that I wanted to do a long time ago. But doing in-person events, kind of, you know, we were doing them almost every week, so there was so little time to focus on that. And then I'm we. The, for the we've hosted many virtual summits, but this is the first time we're going to be hosting a virtual. I would say even not just virtual, but a summit or conference focused on only on expat, uh, you know, successes, challenges, you know, succeeding. It's called the Survive and Thrive uh, Summit. It's a virtual summit in November, and. Uh, Very excited about doing this. As you know, initially my goal was to only do events focused around being an expat, and it's kind of you know uh, diversified into other areas as well. But this one is going to be focused on things like you know expat parenting and finding a job as a a, an expat, and uh, even things like repatriation and relocation, and you know finances and housing, everything that affects an expat. Making friends, you know, overcoming culture shock, cross cultural communication skills. So that's going to be on November 18th and 19th, and that'll be online. So that's.
1: So Nomad Nation, you can check all that information if you're interested on the show notes of this episode, slash 186. I'll put in the information. That sounds like really exciting. This is a lot of fun. Yes, I'm excited (laughs) about it. It's going to be. Yeah. I found it interesting how covid has uh has helped so many companies f- like shift their events and their activities online um and I think if you have tried to do that before covid to have so such a big uh, virtual platform it might have been not as easy as now because people were used to meet physically right right it was actually so you know when when the san francisco
0: decided on the lockdown i was actually hosting a, a empowered a, you know our annual empowered conference in march because of women's history month mm-hmm. and a, i think it was a week or 10 days before that san francisco declared a lockdown so we you know i it, i was so upset and depressed because i had put in so many months uh, to and we were going to have a fashion show and we were going to have these demo tables and we had all these amazing speakers lined up And I was like, Oh, my goodness, you know, And even though I did some virtual events, this was going to be an in person event. I mean, like, an in person fashion show, and then all these amazing demo tables. And, uh, you know, there was a refugee woman from, um, uh, you know, she's originally from uh, Palestine, but then she lived in Kuwait. And now she's here. And I was trying to support Mm -hmm. her by you know, she makes amazing Middle Eastern food, so she was going to provide the food. We had all these gift bags, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is this is horrible." And then, you know, I took a deep breath, I took a step back. But you know, I thought we, everyone thought by like, oh, by May, this this will be done, and we try postpone the event to May, and you know, and then again, early May, they were like, "No chance, there's no way San Francisco is going to open." So then in like a few weeks, I had to pivot that event to a virtual event. And it's, be, you know, this, this that those last few months when I was doing all these virtual events was, it's been one of the most stressful periods in my life. Besides, of course, mm-hmm. sometimes was making the document, it feels so much stressful. But, you know, um, out of, you know, out of hurdles and challenges come, you know, mm-hmm. I'd say new beginnings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I learned so much, not just about myself, but about, you know, being resilient, and, you know, about thinking outside the box and about, you know, they always talk about, you know, I know pivoting is such a cliched work, but, you know, you're constantly having to pivot and be creative and be flexible. And a lot of the speakers were so flexible and a lot of the people involved in supporting the event were so flexible and a lot of credit goes to that. But we did finally do that event on May 27th online we were one of, we were one of the first, I think we're the only ones I maybe now they're to do a virtual fashion show on. Wow.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So I I have the credit goes to the designer. Her name is uh, Saloni. Uh, In Mm -hmm. fact, maybe at some point she's an expat too. She does green sustainable uh, fashion. So she was flexible and was willing to give it, uh, you know, a, a shot. So we, all the models, we trained them. She trained them online. We did many zoom meetings and she had we could not use the models out of san francisco because she had to go and give them the clothes Mm -hmm. but you know the fashion show turned out to be such a success and you know it was virtual so people were posting comments while the models were walking and it was beautiful and you know we did it so wow yeah so i you know for people who are feeling yes i know especially when you have a brick and mortar business it's really hard and i know financially sometimes you People are suffering and might lose clients. And it has affected the expat woman, you know, because, you you know, all this takes time trying to change how you do your business. But I'd say it's been exciting because I realized I don't need to, I can live anywhere in the world if I continue to do virtual events. I'm not tied to San Francisco. I'm not tied to having to go into the city. Uh, And, you know, it's given me a chance to take a step back. And look at what else I can do to, mm. you know, grow the expat woman and provide other resources and other streams, add streams of revenue to, you know, expanding and growing this uh, business.
1: Yeah, love it. This is amazing. And Tanum Numet's podcast show, motto is turning challenges into opportunities and you're the living proof of how you did that here. So this is oh, so cool. Fantastic. <laughs> and, um, so we could talk about your journey forever. This was just a, a very inspiring conversation with you. Is there anything else you would like to add, like a quick tip for anybody who's wanting to build a community based business such as yours? What is the biggest uh, learning um, lesson or practical tip you could share, uh, for anyone who's trying to, to do that,
0: absolutely. So, I would say just go ahead and do it because you know, you there would be lots of naysayers saying, Oh, no way, no one's going to be interested in what you do, or no one just I do it because you know what you want, you know what kind of audience you're targeting, and even if you don't, unless you go out there and do it, you won't, you'll never know because you could have this perfect website, or you could have this perfect product, or you could have this perfect event, but if it's not what the community wants and you know you spend these hours or weeks or months or years perfecting it and then after you 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 know you uh, introduce it to the world there are very few takers it can be frustrating so you know with me I didn't really know and I'm still learning you constantly you have to be open to learning you have to be open to rejection and you've been willing to uh, you know uh, pivot and uh, you know if something doesn't work See, move to to the next step or move on to something else. Don't hold on to something if there's, uh, but you only know that if you put yourself out there and go ahead and do it like Nike says, just do it.
1: Just do it. Amen. (laughs) You're speaking my language, Nina. I love it. Thank you so much. And Nomad Nation, I hope that you got inspired by Nina's journey. If you want to learn more about her and the Expat Women event as well, make sure to go to the show notes episode and make sure to check out the great resource I have for you in the show notes of this episode if you're looking to find the right business idea for you. Go to tandemnomads.com slash one hundred eighty-six. Thank you so much, Nina, for sharing your journey with us. You're welcome, Mel. Thank you for
0: having me on this podcast. It's been a blast and I'm looking forward to seeing the recording and listening to the other guests and podcasts as well. So thank you for, you know, creating this platform to be a voice for women, expat women, women in marketing, etc.
1: Nomad Nation, stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities and see you in the next episode.